chapter 6, we're going to be beginning in verse 10 all the way through the end of this letter. Finish up uh, with our series on how to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. On the eve of D-Day during World War II, as the Allied forces were about to land on the beaches of Normandy to free Europe from the evil grasp of Nazism, General Dwight D. Eisenhower sent a famous message to the men. And he began it this way, he said, Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Forces, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. And he goes on to acknowledge that their task in the days and months ahead uh, would be extremely difficult, to say the least. But, he says, the free men of the world are marching together to victory. Now, every soldier understood uh, that they were part of something far beyond the individual. They, They were participating in the great crusade that had to be won for the sake of freedom. And they they would win by fulfilling their duty to the men on either side of them, fulfilling their duty to the, to the people of Europe and to the ideals of liberty and, and even their duty to defend their own hearth and home. They understood that, their, that fulfilling their duty meant marching together to victory. So today, as we bring our series on the church to a close, we hear a similar message from Paul. Just as no one person won the victory over the Nazis, we've got to understand that our duty as individuals who follow Christ is inextricably linked to the church over which he is the head. But we're not called to win. We're called to stand in unity. And that's because the victory has already been won in Jesus Christ. We, we the church, stand in, in the unity and holiness of God as a living testimony to that victory. Now, we began our series on the church over a year ago. Last summer, we, we started with the headship of Jesus Christ. And we always need to remember this, that, that Christ is the head of the body of the church. That's Colossians 1.18. We also examine the three main purposes of the church, to worship God in a worthy way, to nurture one another in the faith, and third, to make new disciples. And after that, that's when we began our walk through Ephesians, to consider what it means for you and me to be healthy members of the body of Christ. Now, Ephesians begins with these words, to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. To the saints, this is a letter to the church, the church universal to be sure, but especially for the local body of Christ. This is a letter that is meant for Warrington Bible Fellowship as much as it is a letter that is meant for the church at Ephesus. And so today we're going to wrap up this walk in Ephesians with a passage that is very familiar to most of us. Ephesians 6, 10 and onward are all about putting on the armor of God. Now, most of us tend to think of this passage only in terms of ourselves. I've thought of it this way for a long time. You know, this is spiritual warfare. This is me against the devil, and I'm kind of a knight in shining armor defending myself against the devil. And I've got to deflect aiming uh, flaming arrows with my shield of faith. And I've got to jab at the demons with my sword of the Spirit, right? That's kind of the way we tend to think of it. 
But unfortunately, when this passage becomes just about me or just about you, this individual fight against the powers of darkness, we lose sight of a lot of really important stuff, namely the fact that the war is already won and also that I must never stand alone. I never stand alone against the devil, and that's because I'm a member of the greatest army ever. I'm a member of the body of Christ. I'm a member of the church. And that means that you and I stand with Christ who defeated sin and death. Think about that. That's who we stand with. And so although this letter speaks to every individual believer, and rightly so, it also has to do everything to do with our individual responsibility to the people who are sitting around us today our collective mission to stand together in holiness, to stand as one on the rock of our salvation in order to protect us in a very real spiritual war. Well, to be able to grasp the big idea of our passage today, we've got to remember the big ideas of Ephesians and how they're tied together by this thread of unity. We have a God-given responsibility to our fellow saints in this room. It's a responsibility to live holy lives that are patterned after God himself, how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit model unity as they submit to one another. We are called to imitate God, Ephesians 5.1. We imitate God by living face-to-face within a body of believers who are striving after God with their Bibles open and their hearts fixed on Christ. Since the beginning of chapter 4, we've been learning how to imitate God in the way that we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ, how we consistently demonstrate God's character to the world, as well as within our families and our marriages and with our children and with our parents. And the bottom line of all of this is that within the church, God expects us to be, as he says in Ephesians 5.21, to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our submission to one another is an act of worship. And so the big idea of Ephesians is the church and our commitment to the local body of Christ. This is a relationship that we have with other believers that is characterized by unity and by holiness. And so as Paul closes this letter, he writes his own words of encouragement that are kind of akin to Eisenhower's D-Day message. And so this is the big idea of Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 24. And this, the first thing that we'll hear, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time uh, today, is that as the church, we're called to stand together in the strength of God as we live in His holiness. We'll also see this. Number two, that as the church, we're called to pray for one another. And then lastly, we will see that our standing together and our prayers culminate in the proclamation of the gospel. So we stand and we pray and we proclaim that's how we beat the devil. And so we read our passage a couple minutes ago. Let's go ahead and dig in, take a look at the first verse and and begin to see what God is saying to us. Our first point is that we, the church, are called to stand in the strength of God as we live in His holiness. Verses 10 and the beginning part of 11 uh, say, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. 
This call to be strong is like God's call to Joshua to be strong. Remember what Pastor John's been preaching on. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's exactly what Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying in Ephesians. Our, unit, our ability to walk in a manner worthy of our calling is not in ourselves. It's in the strength of God. Be strong in the strength of His might. And that means that putting on the armor of God means to be prepared spiritually with God's strength. The sense of the Greek grammar here indicates a, a state of being. That is, uh, since we belong to Christ, then we're, well, we're dressed in God's armor all the time. It's not something we ever take off, and therefore we never have to put it on again. We can certainly choose not to use it, just like a soldier in combat can choose not to fire his weapon in the you know, middle of a big battle, but that's foolishness, isn't it? And so Paul is reminding us of what he said in verse 24 of chapter 4 that we should put off the old self and put on the new self. In fact, putting on the armor of God is simply another way of saying, put on the new self. The armor of God is nothing new in Scripture. In fact, what Paul most likely has in mind are descriptions of Yahweh and the Messiah like these. Uh, in Isaiah uh, chapter 11, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and the faithfulness, uh, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Uh, chapter 59 verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Now, of course, the power of God is absolute. No evil can ever stand against God or strike him down. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 makes this very clear. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. That's the strength of God with which we stand by faith in Christ. And with his strength, our Lord protects us absolutely, by the way. Jesus said, no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. And the point is that, that God's might gives us an incredible amount of comfort and reassurance as we navigate this evil world. And we need God's armor, don't we? We need God's strength. As Paul says next in verse 11, that you may be able to stand. In the following verses, Paul explicitly exhorts us to stand four times. Stand firm is what he's saying. He never once tells us to attack, by the way. He says to stand firm. Put on the armor of God so that you can stand. So that you can persevere in holiness as a living testimony of the grace of God and the power of God. And here's where he's speaking to us individually and as the body of Christ. God's power enables us to walk in the unity and holiness that Paul has been speaking about all through Ephesians. Unity and personal holiness go hand in hand. Think about it. Without holiness, we cannot be in unity because all we're doing is running around acting like our old selfish selves, right? But without unity, there's no, not even any agreement on what is holy. 
And so unity and holiness go hand in hand. And this is why Christ is the head of the church. It is his work that unifies us and it is his character that defines our holiness. And so as individual members of Christ's body, when we live in holiness, we're also demonstrating our union with Christ. And that's what makes our unity with other believers possible. The point of all of this is is that all this comes from the power of God as we learn to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so just as General Eisenhower had in mind both the individual soldier and the whole allied effort, Paul has in mind that each of us be clad in God's armor so that all of us are clad in God's armor. And therefore, we are able to stand together and to be strong. Paul is not just writing to a saint. He's not just writing to you or to me. He is writing to the saints. He's writing to the church. All of the pronouns and verbs in the original Greek in this passage are plural. He's writing to the church. And when we realize this, it changes our perspective about the meaning and the impact of this whole passage because it means that we're no longer talking about a lonely battle on some desolate battlefield against forces that oppose God and oppose us. Now we're standing in the company of God's soldiers. We are WBF company in God's army. And WBF belongs to the battalion of believing churches in Warrington. And Warrington battalion belongs to the Fauquier Brigade of true believers. And the Fauquier Brigade belongs to the Division of Virginia, which is part of the core of true believers of the USA, which is a member of God's army. The church universal, all true believers for all time who are all under the headship of our King, our all-powerful King, Christ Jesus. And yet, as God's people, we stand in the strength of God today, not to bring judgment, but as a living testimony, a beacon of light in the darkness, a haven of grace and of peace in these uncertain times. You know, a lot of us are we're really fearful about what's going to happen in a week and a half or so. We're fearful about the economy, about terrorism, about a, a whole bunch of other things. But brothers and sisters, that kind of fear does not belong in the vocabulary of a Christian because nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can bring our God down. Our faith is not in politics or in people or in institutions. Our faith is in the God who saves. And we stand because He stands. Amen? And the tremendous blessing of standing in unity is our ministry to each other. We confess our sins to each other. We hold each other accountable. We walk with each other through the struggles of life. Over cups of coffee, we we build each other up to maturity in Christ. We pray for one another. We care for each other. It's a beautiful thing. And then we can come to church here on Sunday morning and know that we're in a refuge of God's strength, a high tower of the truth of God. That's the benefit of commitment to a body of believers. It's the blessing of unity, the blessing to receive and to provide ministry to each other, to be vessels of grace for other people. 
That's what standing together looks like. But why in the world are we standing? Well, verse 11 tells us we're standing against the schemes of the devil. Paul goes on to say in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You remember Ephesians 3, verse 10, God made the church so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Some of those rulers and authorities in that realm are good and godly, but some of them are evil, and they hate God's manifold wisdom. They hate it with a passion. They hate the fact that he saves sinners by his grace and mercy. And those evil forces, they realize they cannot be beaten. They're just like the insurgents in Iraq and Afghanistan. Satan and his crew, they want to mess up God's plans. And they want to take some of us down with them. And that's why we need to stand firm. We need to stand as beacons of light in the darkness. And you know what that means? It means the enemy can see us. They know right where we are. We stand out just like lighting a big old fire in the middle of the night. Those evil forces gather around us in the blackness like wolves and they try to frighten us with their howls and they try to pick us off. But we're not afraid because Christ defeated sin and death. And so our job isn't to win. We don't need to win. The victory is already won. We need to stand. And we need to stand by living in holiness. That's how we beat the devil. It's when we stand together that we sustain one another in our faith and in our holiness. You know, years ago, I went through a pretty long and dark night of the soul when a member of our family was, was very ill. And I, I felt tremendous despair. God seemed to be a million miles away. The cosmic powers of darkness were certainly taking advantage of my weakness. They tried to take me down. But it was the church who sustained me. It was the faithful preaching of the word. It was the fellowship of believers, people who spoke God's truth into my life, who modeled the holiness of Jesus Christ. I was not alone. And those brothers and sisters Help me to fight that battle. And the church won that fight because of our king who possesses all power and dominion. This is something that Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 1, in verses 20 and 21, that God demonstrated his power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is the Lord we bow down to. Hallelujah. He cannot be beaten. Doesn't that give you an incredible amount of confidence in him? There is no question about who wins. God's power is not in question. But what's important is that we stand in the whole armor of God. In verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 
Stand in the whole armor of God, in all of God's strength and holiness. We embrace God and his truth completely. We put on the armor of God. We put off the old self and we put on the new. That's when the devil is defeated. When we stand by imitating God, by wearing his holiness. You see, the strength of God is his holiness. So when we wear God's armor, we're wearing his holiness, which means that we become all that God wants us to be and we do all that God wants us to do. That's our protection. And this is what Paul has been describing to us since, since the beginning of chapter 4 and really throughout Ephesians. And now he's showing us that living in holiness is how we stand against our spiritual enemy. The imagery of armor, as we have seen, conjures up the power of God, but it's also a beautiful analogy for the readers of Ephesians who are surrounded by the Roman army. And this is an army in their day that seemed absolutely invincible. The armor that Paul is describing is a mixture of, of how a Roman soldier was outfitted along with the biblical imagery of God's armor that we've already seen. But, you know, a lot of trees have died in books and commentaries trying to assign a spiritual meaning to a sword and a breastplate and a helmet and so on. And I do think that some of that is helpful. But if we get too serious about that, we run into some inconsistencies about which bit of armor belongs to which aspect of holiness. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul says to put on the breastplate of faith, where here in Ephesians he says to put on the breastplate of of righteousness. So which breastplate should I wear today? It's quite a dilemma. So I don't, I really don't think the individual pieces of military armor are nearly as important as what else Paul is talking about. And this is really his point. What he's talking about is holiness, is truth, righteousness, readiness, faith, salvation, and the word of God. That's what we put on. And Paul is using this military imagery simply to help us to understand that we are in the middle of a very real spiritual war and that we do need God's protection. The Roman army was invincible in Paul's day and the reason was their tactics, namely how they stood together. The Romans uh, had had these tall shields that were made of, of wood and leather and they soaked those shields in water so that when the flaming arrows hit them, the flames would burn out. And they stood shoulder to shoulder, row after row, sometimes entirely covering their bodies with, with these shields. And it was like an impenetrable shell. A soldier who was off by himself was no match for a pouring rain of flaming arrows, but when they stood together, they were protected. Now, there were a few times when their enemies were able to fight the Roman army and win. But this was only when the Romans were on a battlefield where they could not use their tactics. One such battle was in 217 B.C., the Battle of Lake Tresemine, a French word, it's hard to pronounce. Uh, the Carthaginians under Hannibal defeated the Romans by luring them into a long, spread-out line along a lake. And the Carthaginians wait in ambush and they attack and the Romans don't have room along this narrow path to, to get themselves organized. They're spread too thin. 
And so they can't get into those protective units to protect themselves with their shields. You see, they weren't able to stand together and they were crushed by the Carthaginians. Isn't that an incredible lesson for us as believers? If we stand outside the fellowship of believers, we make ourselves vulnerable. And this is what the Holy Spirit through Paul wants us to see. That personally, each of us has to be ready for the spiritual war that is taking place. And what makes us ready is the armor of God, the strength of God, the holiness of God. That is, we're ready for battle when we put off the old self and when we put on the new self. And so having done so, we must stand together. You know, it, it really does grieve me when I see Christians who choose not to commit to a fellowship. They church hop. You might see them one month and then not for another couple of months because they're just moving around. Well, I'm a member of the church universal, they say, which is true. But the problem is, is that many of those Christians are not ready for this spiritual battle because they have not benefited from the equipping and the encouragement and the growth that happens within a committed fellowship. And so putting on the armor of God, we stand in unity. And we stand by imitating God, by living the holy lives that Paul has been showing us all throughout Ephesians. And so in verse 14, we stand in truth. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Not only the truth of the gospel, but we should be truthful people, too. Our character should reflect Christ's character. We put away falsehood. We speak the truth. Chapter 4, verse 25. When we do, we demonstrate the truthful character of God, and we guard ourselves against the falsehood and the lies of the devil. We also protect ourselves and each other when, in verse 14, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Not only is God righteous, but righteousness defines our new selves. Since, in Ephesians 4, 24, we were created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Because of that righteousness, we are, in Ephesians 5, uh, beginning in verse 8, we are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The next thing we do is we put on some shoes as shoes uh, for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What, what Paul means is readiness for spiritual combat, which does not mean duking it out directly with demons. It simply means to live what the gospel of peace is preaching. And it's as simple as this in verse 32 of chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Next, we take up a shield in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so we stand shoulder to shoulder in faith just like my brothers and sisters did when I was going through my dark night of the soul. Your brothers and sisters are standing with you and building you up. And so our faith becomes a shield that not only protects us personally, but also our fellow soldiers in God's army. And finally, in verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
It's our salvation that gives us the confidence that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And therefore, the confidence we need on this day of battle. It's a reminder of how in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so with our salvation in mind, we live the gospel by loving one another. Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Have you ever thought about that? Loving your brother and sister in Christ is a demonstration of salvation. That's a beautiful thing. And then finally, we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is like a sword. We all know this. It's convicting, and it pierces our hard hearts. Its effectiveness comes from the Holy Spirit. And so we as soldiers do not wield, again, the sword of judgment. What we wield is the power of the Holy Spirit's conviction to save as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I are a result of God's victory over the darkness in us. Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so by the power and presence and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the word of God has the power to save, and the word of God has the power to protect us from the evil schemes of the devil because we know the truth because of the word of God. And it proclaims Christ crucified and Christ risen from the dead. And that, at long last, finishes our first point. That we as the church are called to stand together in the strength of God and we stand together by living in the holiness of God. It is the holiness of God that is our armor. And the last two points we can understand pretty quickly, although neither one of them is insignificant. Our second point is that as the church, we are called to pray for one another in verse 18. Verse 18 says that uh, being fully equipped with the armor of God, we should be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying is not one of the pieces of the armor. Praying is how we provide armor for one another. Praying for our fellow believers as well isn't the epitome of unity. As we seek out the Lord's help in our lives and in our spiritual battle together. And to put it in a way that we can understand, it's how we watch each other's back. And of course, because of the spiritual battle going on, we've got to keep alert. We've got to persevere. And I really think that this is one of the great joys of being a committed member of the body of Christ because we get to know each other. And that's when we know how to pray for one another. That's how we know what to be alert for and what to watch for. And so we can pray for those individuals. And we can all think of times that praying saints have made a difference in our lives. Even simply knowing that somebody's praying for you is an incredible comfort, isn't it? Hey, I'm praying for you, man. That's a great encouragement. But you know, we've got to remember 
that's supporting those prayers is the real power of God. God's power. God's undefeatable strength. I can tell you what an assurance it is when you pray for us as pastors, as Paul asked the church to do at the beginning of verse 19. He says, hey, and also pray for me. Pray for me. You know, as pastors, we face a unique battle with the powers of darkness every day because God has appointed us to preach the good news, to preach his truth, and those evil powers know it and they hate it, and we become a target. And so we need your prayers. We need to know that you're praying for us as well, just as Paul needed the prayers of the saints, and just as you know how much it warms your hearts to know that somebody is praying for you. Pray for the elders, too. They need prayer. They pray for you every Tuesday evening when we get together for our meeting. The way we begin our meeting is to pray for you, many of you by name. And so we should be a praying church. We should be praying for one another, lifting each other up to the Lord who can heal us and reconcile us and draw us closer to him. And so that's our second point, that as the church, we are called to pray for each other. And this leads right on in to our third and final point. Our final point is that our stand against evil powers and our prayers culminate in the proclamation of the gospel in verses 19 and 20. Paul says, to pray for me that, the wor that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You know, we exist under the headship of Christ to worship God, to nurture each other into faith, and to make new disciples. And all three of those purposes require the bold preaching of God's Word. A boldness to proclaim Christ on the part of your pastors without regard to the consequences that we might face in this world because of the gospel that we preach. And it requires a bold proclamation of Christ on the part of you, on the part of all the saints who make up the body of Christ. Because as we stand brightly together in this dark world, we proclaim a truth that the liars in those evil heavenly realms despise and they want to do everything they can to stop us. But the beautiful truth is, is that the harder they try, the brighter the light of Christ shines. Because, of our, because our boldness comes not from our own bravery, but from the strength of God's might, the truth of his word, and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's our third point. That as we stand, as the church, and as we pray, we proclaim the gospel. Our second point was that as the church we are called to pray for one another and our first point was that as the church we are called to stand together in the strength of God by living in holiness. We stand firm. We pray for one another and we proclaim the gospel. That's how we fight the devil. That's how we beat him. To put it in a positive light, that's how we worship God. That's how we honor God is by living in that way. And so as we draw our contemplation of the church to a close, as we 
remember how we're called to be healthy, committed members of the church. Let's let Paul's themes of unity and holiness just resonate in our hearts. Christ is the head of the church, and he has made us members of his body. We are part of something that is far greater than ourselves. We are part of God's glorious plan of redemption. What an amazing privilege this is to be his church, to be the part of a people that is making the manifold wisdom of God known in heavenly places and also on earth. What a privilege it is for us to have a duty to our fellow soldiers, to stand firm with them in the power and in the holiness of God, to watch their backs in prayer, to proclaim the glorious truth of the gospel together. I think the best way for us to digest all of this is to turn to the very last words of Ephesians, to sum up everything that we've learned about how to be the church. In verses 21 and 22, Paul makes a personal note that he's sending a man named Tychicus to Ephesus to to provide news to the church and to encourage them. What a beautiful little vignette of all that Paul has been speaking of about how we are to care for and love one another. And then he begins a final blessing in verse 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's these last words and the very last sentence of Ephesians that have always really struck me. Listen to this. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Love incorruptible. Isn't that what all of this is all about? That we would love our God in a way that cannot be corrupted? The sense of incorruptible in the Greek also has the sense of immortality. So we're talking about immortal love, a love that never ends because the Lord who saved us did defeat sin and death. This is a love for Christ that cannot be shaken, a love that endures the worst of what the prince of evil can throw at us. And why can our love endure? Because as members of the body of Christ, as people who have been transformed, we stand together in his holiness and in his power, wearing the full armor of God as we stand one in the truth because Christ is truth. We stand in righteousness because Christ is righteous. We stand in readiness because of Christ's gospel of peace. And we stand in faith because God proved the riches of his mercy in Jesus Christ. And we stand in salvation rejoicing in the hope that we have in Christ. We stand in the word of God because it proclaims Christ crucified and Christ risen from the dead. That's the gospel for which we stand. It's the gospel on which we depend in prayer. And it's the gospel that we as the church proclaim to each other and to this town. And so, brothers and sisters, may we, Warrington Bible Fellowship, walk in a manner worthy of our calling to stand firm in the power of God in unity and in holiness as a living testimony to His great work. Amen. Let's pray.